So many people like to tell themselves a story that if only they were more confident, they would be able to do that thing they've been hiding from. If only they could feel more confident, they would do more for themselves and show up more for their business. I don't think the skill they're looking for is being or feeling more confident. I think the secret here is to living with confidence and living confidently. That's the conversation I'd like to have with all of you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to Business Mindset Mastery. I'm your host, Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and leadership expert. You can find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And today we're digging into a listener question who um, she's finding me on the other side of the episode that I released last week on learning from your mistakes. Um, apparently, I uh, made fun of myself a little bit. I don't really even remember what I said um, that sparked her attention, but it's created a conversation for her around confidence and how do you show up more confidently. So I'm going to listen. Let me scratch that. I am going to read her letter and I'll find all of you on the other side and we can dig in deeper to the conversation. Heather, I just listened to your episode about learning from mistakes. You just put it all out there, don't you? You can so easily say, this is what I did, or this is what I didn't do, and this is what I learned from it. You sound so at ease with yourself. You laugh at yourself. You take your work seriously, and I could tell that, but you never take yourself seriously. How did you get so confident? Was it from surviving these mistakes? Did you need to be successful first in order to get confident? I can't imagine being a person who publicly laughs at herself, but I'd really like to be. Wondering what you think it takes for people to be confident. Okay, there's so many different places I could take you in this conversation. And I think one of the places I'm going to take you is a little unexpected. But first, I want to sort of do a little shout out to my old supervisor. Um, When I did residential care, and I was in program management, one of the things and I, I think that this was really one of the first professional lessons I've ever learned, is that in order to be confident with an F, you have to be competent with the P, right? And that competence breeds confidence and confidence breeds competence. That's why so often you'll hear me say on the show, like if you were just sitting and waiting to feel more confident so you can go and do the thing, you're never actually going to go and do the thing. That in order to feel confident, you have to go and see yourself doing the thing. And that's what's going to give you confidence. So I do think those two things go hand in hand. And I do think that there's a heck of a lot of people who are hiding, playing small, and holding back because they're just waiting to believe in themselves a little more or to have a different story about themselves. And they're never going to actually change that story about themselves until they do something differently. So it's this cyclical, like sort of just circle that the cyclical circle, of course, <laughs> that was dumb. But like, there's the, it's like this, this knot they get themselves all tied up in. And what we 
have to do a little bit is untie that knot, right? How do we get somebody from saying like, I don't think I can, no one's really going to believe me, there's so many different experts in the field, why would anybody listen to me? Or look at me, I just corrected myself and I just said cyclical circle and of course everybody knows that's such a stupid thing to say and we can create the loop and we can do that over and over again on repeat. The reason why we do that it's because we're protecting ourselves. If we say it first, no one else can say it. So it becomes kind of our shield. And I said this the other day in an episode that I had on believing in yourself more. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and have give that one a listen too. But it's this idea that I think sometimes we just, we have to go and believe in ourselves enough to do the thing and what we have to ultimately be doing for ourselves in that conversation and in that action is recognizing and tuning into our capability that whatever happens next, we may not want it to happen, but we're capable of managing it if it happens. Now, there's a lot of pie in the sky things that we can talk about when it comes to confidence. And I think you could go back to the Believing in Yourself episode. You can go and scroll through the archives of the show in any episode you see that's tagged with imposter syndrome or any of those things. I think you would get a whole host of information. The thing that I kind of want to share with you are two things that when people ask me, because this is a question I get a lot, how do you just show up like that? How are you so unafraid. Um, And I think that there's a couple of things. So I'm going to try to come up with the things that are unique to me to see if maybe they can apply to you because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot written in the self-help section, right? And there's still a whole hell of a lot of people who are self-doubting and lacking confidence. So something in the messaging is getting lost. And I can tell you that I didn't figure some of this out until I figured out that I was really good at what I did. And that meant I needed to give myself permission to acknowledge and own my talent. So if those of you who have listened to the show for a while, or if you go back to the show notes of um, how I turned out okay in the end is an old episode of mine, I kind of walk you through my story and my journey. And part of that story and journey is the fact that as a young adult, as a teenager, um, and as a college, I think freshman and sophomore, uh, college freshman, I would say, I largely moved through the world as a depressed individual. I was really sad. I was lost. I was lonely. I was disconnected. My mom had died when I was six years old, but I don't think it ever really hit me. And I don't think I ever particularly dealt with it very well until I was in the seventh grade. And then it kind of came crashing on me like a ton of bricks. And I, I just realized that like my mom dying was like a permanent condition. And so it was something that I had to sort through. And I largely was a huge miss socially. Um, I was a really smart kid. My grades were good. Um, I was in all honors classes. I was in this like special track for exceptional learners. So the grades and the program I was in kind of validated for me that I was smart, but I felt socially awkward and unsure of myself. And the one thing that I knew when I went to college is that my parents had been 
been so strict with me. My dad had remarried. Um, and my parents had been so strict with me and hadn't allowed me to do very much so that when I went to college, I was so afraid of the freedom that came with it. I was so afraid of um, making my own choices and making the wrong choices. So I largely played it safe. But the one thing I knew is after college, I did not want to live home for a full summer. Um, if there was anything I learned, it was I was getting really used to living without rules. So I'm the kid who by <laughs> before it was even semester break of freshman year. So before it was even December of my freshman year in college, I had gotten myself a job as a live-in counselor at a sleepaway camp so that like basically I could be dropped off in Sharon, Massachusetts at the beginning of summer and my parents could pick me up at the end of summer and I wouldn't have to live there. And um, it wasn't for the money, I promise you. And one dark day, I figured out that I only made $1 an hour when I looked at my salary. But that summer is a summer that without a doubt changed my life. I, it, the, I The camp doesn't exist anymore, but it was a special camp for kids who were in the Department of Social Services. A lot of kids who were waiting for foster homes. So mom and dad couldn't take care of them and they needed a place to go. And the summer camp was kind of convenient for those kids. So it gave DSS time to um, find a foster home while the, so those kids didn't have to like live in programs or institutions or anything like that. So the kids we had had already seen their fair share of life. They had already they were coming to us pretty street smart, pretty savvy, and then we were dumping them in the middle of suburban um, Massachusetts and telling them to go swim on a lake and all of the adventures that ensue from that. So the kids who came were rough and tumble kind of kids, and they they gave us a run for our money, and I I loved it. I I took to that kind of work like like a fish to water and just loved being away from home. I loved working full time. I just, I loved all of it. Um, and I started to find myself a little relaxed, but I certainly wasn't socially active. I, I wasn't engaging with the other counselors. I kind of did my job and went back to the cabin and did my job and went back to the cabin. And one night is the night where it all shifted and changed. And we had this eight or nine year old boy. I think his name was Brian. I'm pretty sure his name was Brian. And you always want to remember the moments that change your life, right? So I always kind of go, oh gosh, if this is a moment that changes my life, may I remember all the details. And now, of course, it's so I could tell it as a story on a podcast. Um, but there was Brian and he was on top of the jungle gym and it was getting to be dark and it was time for all the kids to go back to their respective cabins and Brian was refusing to follow directions and Brian was refusing to come down. And I I saw him and I he wasn't one of mine because they had the girls with the girl campers and the boys with the boy campers. So I had seen like all of the counselors kind of saying, Brian, it's time to come in. Brian, you know, like you want to have your hot cocoa, Brian, you know, and he's just sitting there and he's not yelling. He's not doing anything. He's just not coming down from the jungle gym. And like, I remember thinking, like, this is such a crazy situation. There's six grown adults and one eight or nine-year-old boy who, like, nothing bad's going to happen, like, because he's on top of the jungle gym. So I ended up, like, going over and saying, do you guys mind if I give it a shot? And they're like, by all means, we can't get him down. And I climbed the friggin' jungle gym. 
None of the others had thought to do that. None of the others were, you know, just getting up there with them. So I instinctively just knew that that was what I needed to do. Um, when I talked to you guys on the show about my talent and respecting my talent, I think that that was a moment of it, right? So I climbed the top of this jungle gym. And I said, hi, I'm Heather. How are you? And he's like not answering me and not talking. And I was like, wow, you're, you're a pretty cool dude right now. You've got a whole heck of a lot of power and control in this situation. Look at the way you're getting these counselors to dance. And he kind of shrugs, um, which is more than they were, <clears throat> you know, he had given any of the others at the bottom of the, you know, at the ground thing. So, um, I just, you know, I kind of kept talking and I was like, wow, I was like, you, you can see a lot from up here and you could as you looked over you could see like the the lines of kids returning to their cabins um it was starting to get dark so we could see a few stars and there was the older kids um section and they were having a campfire so you could kind of see over the hill and see where the campfire was happening um and I was like it's it's really nice up here and it's you know, it's like, wow, it's, it's really quiet. And he goes, yeah, quiet. And I was like, are you, you just having a moment? And he's like, yes, yes, I'm having a moment. And I said, okay, you're having lots of moments. They've been trying to get you to come down for a while now. I was watching this. And he's like, I know, I know I'm in trouble. Now I'm going to have to go down and now I'm going to have to be in trouble and I'm not going to get to have evening activity tomorrow. I know I totally blew it, but I, I just, I can't go back. And I said, can't go back where? And he said, to the cabin. Why not? It's so loud and it's really scary once it starts to get dark. And I said, oh, he's like the kids, they make kinds of noise and it bounces off the walls and I don't know what's real and what's a kid and it's not my house. And then he starts to cry. And I said, do you know, do your counselors know about this? Does anybody know? I don't want to be a scaredy cat. I don't want to be this. And I, I said, well, you know, what if I'm the scary cat for you? What if I say, hey, this kid's only eight or nine years old and he's in this cabin and it's really kind of loud and, you know, maybe you could work out a plan or something to help help him have a quieter evening and help him figure out what the sounds are and all of that. And he's like, if I don't have to say it, it'll be okay. So we got him down the jungle gym in 10 seconds flat. And I pulled this counselor aside and explained how the other boys in the cabin were super loud and it was creating echoes and he just kind of got freaked out. And so when it was time to go back, he got scared all over again, went to the top of the jungle gym to calm himself down and then got himself all like tied in a knot. And, you know, and the counselor's like, thanks, dude. And, you know, took the boy and took Brian and, and off they went. And it was this such an easy breezy moment that I think for a lot of people would have just been like, well, I did it. But for me, there was something about watching seven adults just be completely hopeless and kind of silly and ineffective. And figuring out that intuitively, even though I'd only been at that camp and had only been a counselor for, you know, orientation, basically, because this was like the second night of the first session, I knew how to connect with that kid. I knew how to get him down. I figured it out. 
the seven other people who had all been there the seven, you know, the summer before, they didn't know how to connect, but I did. And there was something about that moment that every moment after I started to see and appreciate what I uniquely brought to the world and I owned it unapologetically. I started to give myself permission to see myself as talented. Sure, I was still socially awkward as anything. Sure, I kind of liked it up there on the top of the jungle gym. It kept me from having to socialize with my own peers at the time, right? But there was something about that moment of seeing that I could and choosing to do it. And I gave myself permission to own it. So that every other example that came next of things that I was good at, where my talent existed, where I showed up for myself, where, uh, you know, I gave it the good old college try and it worked. I just gave myself permission to see and absorb my talent, to appreciate it, to be grateful for it, to nurture it, to practice it and to own it unapologetically. And when you look at people who are feeling really confident, they have some element of owning their skill set. Even if they know they're not the best in the world, even if they know they're not perfect, they accept like I do that they're perfectly imperfect. And a lot of people who struggle with confidence are really quick with the the inner critic thoughts. They're really quick with the, you showed up five minutes late. You didn't make eye contact. You didn't do this. You could have tried this. You didn't try that. Why didn't you think of this? And all of those thoughts, but you don't give yourself permission to own what you're really good at, what brings joy to other people, what other people appreciate about you. And then you're usually pretty lousy at accepting compliments. So the flip side of it is not just owning what you're good at, but when other people express gratitude, appreciation, love for you and compliment you, the challenge there is also to accept the compliment and to take it in as true because it's not your business to disagree with somebody else's thoughts or feelings because our thoughts and feelings are perfectly inarguable. So if someone thinks you're awesome, then you can't argue that because their thoughts are inarguable. So you might as well work on accepting it. That is probably the main reason why I'm able to get on a podcast and press play is because I've had all of these years of experience and interactions with clients that have given me the awareness that I, I, I'm kind of good at this thing, that I'm not, you know, like I'm not going to be for everyone, but I, I have something to say and people can, you know, find it valuable. Now, I also kind of teased you at the beginning of this episode that um, I was going to throw a ringer into the, <laughs> into the uh, conversation and something unexpected. And I, I don't know if this is true for everyone. In fact, anybody who sort of self-identifies as having confidence or feeling confident, I'd love it if you just wrote to me um, and just told me, uh, Heather, choose to have it all.com, you know, find me there and, and tell me what you think. But when I also look at sort of my ability to stand tall and kind of own my truth and own my story. I really think about the time that I was single for a really absurdly 
long time. I don't even know how many years I was single before I met my husband. But I, I, I've been quoted as saying 10. I hope, it has, I hope it wasn't really 10. But it was a good amount of time in between um, great loves. And I lived alone. Um, I partially, at first, I had a live-in job taking care of um, adult men with uh, developmental disabilities. Um, I got, you know, I got my own apartment in exchange for looking at after them. And then I moved into my own apartment. So I lived on my own for a good amount of time. And I learned to be alone. I don't think I was ever someone who was entirely codependent or needed other people, but I never lived with roommates once I wasn't, you know, once I wasn't forced to in college. Um, and I really became unafraid of being by myself. I got to know myself. I got to know my preferences. I got to kind of figure figure out how I move through the world. Um, I got to sit with myself in lonely days and figure out how to get out of them. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's funny, one of the things when I was a therapist that I like would struggle with, and it would be one of the things that people would say, and I would actually have to control my facial expression when clients would say it, when they would say they were afraid of being alone, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Being alone is like the best possible thing. And now I kind of joke and and laugh a little bit because um, my husband, when he was in his medical training, he would have 24-hour on-call periods. And they were like the best days ever for me, having the house to myself, being just by myself, doing what I wanted when I wanted. I was like a teenager all over again, I think. Um, but like people would say they were afraid of being alone. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like being alone is awesome. And I think that there's something up to that. Um, I don't think you have to be like me and be totally psyched when your partner in life or your roommate leaves um, and you get the place to yourself. It's okay because I think it's about, it's not about um, liking even being alone. It's actually about being able to be alone. It is totally okay if it's your preference to be with other people. That is still a normal, healthy, functional way of moving through the world. But what I do think confidence requires is an ability to be on our own and sit with ourselves to sit with our uncomfortable feelings, to sit with our uncomfortable thoughts, the parts of ourselves we don't really like, the things, the warts, the pimples, the, you know, the dirty bits, right? We have to be able to sit with them and wrestle them. And when we have someone around or when we're constantly trying to fill the space with somebody else, I don't think we really figure out who we are. And if we don't really know ourselves or we only know parts of ourselves or we avoid the the kind of shadow side of ourselves, I don't think we ever fully come to appreciate our whole being. So people who struggle with confidence and they've gone to therapy and they've read the books and they've done the this and they've tried the that, one of the things I often say is, you know, why don't you try going away for a week by yourself? 
Why don't you take a solo vacation? Why don't you, and if you can't afford that, why don't you schedule some dates in your calendar where you are completely and totally by yourself? To journal, to go to a movie, to eat by yourself, to entertain yourself by yourself, to disconnect from the screen. Because so many people, as soon as they're physically alone, they light their phones up and suddenly they're connecting on social media. So learning to be on your own, learning to keep your own company, to um, get to know who you are, to figure out what your preferences are. I really think that's one of the hidden secrets of confidence. I, When I look at that part of me and how did I get to be so sort of unapologetic about who I am and how I screw it all up, I actually think a lot of it comes to the fact that I'm really comfortable by myself. My poor husband, um, he probably, it's a good thing he doesn't listen to this show because he also kind of knows I don't say it out loud, but there's a lot of time when I would actually prefer to be by myself, that there's um, joy and comfort in it. But at the very least, I do think we have to be able to sit with ourselves and look ourselves in the mirror and be okay with what we see on the other side. And we get there by going and doing the thing and we get there by getting to know ourselves without dodging the hard parts, without skipping over things, but just facing it and having those hard conversations. Um, I have a feeling that today's conversation didn't go where you were hoping. So, um, you know, have a listen to what I have to say. Go back and listen to the Believe in Yourself episode that I did just the other day. And between the two, if you're still feeling stuck or somebody else is listening and you have a question and you're feeling like I'm missing the mark, you know, let let me know. Find me over at Heather at choose to have it all.com. I'll gladly continue the conversation. And if you have any other kind of question, certainly hit me up there too, because the best pod comes from the best questions. Thanks so much for today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.